Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Good morning. Can, yeah, you can hear me. Um, it's good to be with you again this morning, bringing the word. Let me just um, commit the time to God, please. Heavenly Father, we just commit this time. I pray that you would quieten our hearts, that we would be open to hear from you, sensitive to what you have to say, Lord, that we'd hear, hear your words of encouragement, of challenge, of teaching, Lord Jesus. Be with me as I bring your word, I pray, and may you receive all praise and glory. Amen. Well, we're continuing with our series looking at the church. And this morning, I'm pleased to be speaking about the church as servants of Christ. Now, even as I say the word servant, I imagine some of you are thinking, well, it doesn't sound as appealing as the bride of Christ or even the family of God. Who wants to be a servant? Probably not many of us, because there's something in us, in our nature, in our flesh, that we, we don't want to bow the knee. We don't want to serve. And in fact, we live in a society that increasingly says that character like servanthood, submission, humility are weaknesses, are to be looked down upon, are to be despised. And of course, what we, we celebrate is strength and success, and power, and influence, and even arrogance as being the traits that we admire and what we, we would want to emulate. And servanthood is in absolute opposition to this. And this morning, I want us, I want us to be honest with ourselves and admit that actually at our heart, we are self-occupied, self-centered. Even though we might try not to be or, or put up uh, a front, often we count the cost if there's a need, and we would prefer often to be served. Now, this isn't something new to this generation. It's as old as time itself. And with that in mind, I want to go back in time, as I do like to do, back to before the foundation of this world. Before God created this world, before he created man, he created angels. And we know that because in Job, it talks about the angels shouting for joy at God's creation. You can just imagine them seeing God create the heavens and the earth and shouting for joy. Now, angels are servants of God. They do his will. They minister. And there's one, one of the angels that we know by name, and that's Lucifer, more commonly known as Satan. And this angel started to get puffed up with his own beauty, his own importance. And he said, I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve. I want to be raised up. I want to be lifted up and worshipped. Isaiah 14 verse 13 said of him, You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. He was not content serving 
the one true God. He wasn't content being in worship to him, not satisfied with being close to him. But instead, he wanted to be lifted up. He wanted to be served and worshipped. And the consequence was that he was thrown to earth and with all that followed after him. He lifted himself up, but God humbled him. Later in the Garden of Eden, we see that Satan comes to Eve and he tempts her. He says, eat of the tree that she knew was forbidden for her. In fact, she believed that she would die if she ate of it. And his words to her were, this is found in Genesis 3:4, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You will be like God. The temptation for her was to be, to be risen up, to be lifted up, be like God. This pattern has continued. If we look at the history of Israel, Israel had the privilege of being set aside as God's own people. God would be their God. He would lead them. He would guide them. He would protect them. And they would obey him. And they would serve him. And yet, repeatedly, they rebelled. And they said, we will not serve. We will not bow our knee. Satan's plan has always been to take man away from serving God and instead to serve him, even though often unaware, changing the true God for an imposter, for a counterfeit. Now Satan even tempted or attempted to tempt Jesus when he was in the wilderness and he showed Jesus the nations of the world and their splendor. And he offered him a crown. Matthew 4, 9 to 10. He says, all this I will give you if you would bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. Where Adam and Eve had failed, Jesus, fully God, without sin, resisted. Now, even Jesus's disciples struggled with pride and their own importance. You probably recall the occasion when they're arguing amongst themselves, who was the greatest? Who would sit next to Jesus in glory? Can you imagine Jesus hearing this? And what Jesus said to them would have turned upside down, would have blown their minds, their understanding of how things were going to work going forwards. Let's read what Jesus said. It's Mark 10, 42 to 45. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This went against all wisdom of that time, and it certainly goes against all wisdom of today. Surely those in the greatest of the kingdom of God are those that have the most followers, the biggest churches, the ones with the most influence, the most power, not, not the ones that humble themselves and serve others. 
Surely this is not what Jesus was saying. Now, this was truly amazing in itself that Jesus said this, but he didn't just say it. He lived it. He lived this teaching of being a servant, being fully God. He hadn't grasped onto that position, but he had humbled himself and become a man and not not even a prince or a king. He had become the humblest, the lowliest of men that he might serve us and give up his life for us. Now, we're going to look more closely at Jesus, our servant king, just now. But first of all, I want to get a bit of background from the Bible about servants. Now, the word servant can actually be interchanged often with the word slave. It depends what version of the Bible you're reading. The Greek word for it comes um, is doulos, and it means to bind. And so it's to be bound to someone in servitude. Now, in the Old Testament, even in Israel, there were times when someone would become a slave or a servant to a, a fellow countryman, um, probably get into debt or some needs, they would become a servant, a slave. But the amazing thing, and the more if you look at God's law in the Old Testament, we see that in God's economy, this was never meant to be a downward spiral that would are a poverty trap for future generations. But that in God's plan, if someone were to sell their property or sell themselves into slavery, it would be for a set amount of time. His plan, his law was that in the Jubilee years, the Sabbath years, property would return to its original owner and slaves would be free. It it just shows God's amazing love and compassion and that he was sensitive even to those that didn't make a success financially in their life. He had made provision for them. But also we find in the law that God made provision for those that didn't, when the time came, didn't want to be freed from their master. Might, might sound strange, but a slave in that time would have been part of the family to some extent. And there were occasions when someone said, I love my master, I don't want to leave him. And we find this in Exodus 21, verse 2 and 5 to 6. If you're interested, there's more to it, but let me read that. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve you for six years, but on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to God Then he shall bring him to the door, the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him permanently. A slave that could be freed can choose to serve the master because he loves him permanently. We call that a bond servant. A bond servant is servanthood that's not enforced, but is a choice out of love for our master. And it is the most beautiful picture. And I much prefer in versions of the New Testament that use the word bondservant. For me, it sums up that choice of serving out of love for a master. And a lot of the New Testament writers called themselves bondservants, often in their greetings. Peter, um, Paul, James, Jude, um, Timothy, use the word bondservant to describe themselves. Romans 1 verse 1 is an example. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, 
set aside for the gospel of God. Paul, in calling himself a bondservant of Jesus, is really saying, I am a man who has made a choice to follow my Lord where he wants me to go, I will go. What he wants me to do, I will do. What he wants me to say, I will say. I am completely sold out and committed to my master because I love him and I will serve him all the days of my life. Isn't it beautiful to serve our master out of love? Well, if the word servant doesn't sit well in the world that we live in, the word master certainly won't. To have a master, the truth is, whether we realize it or not, we all have a master. We all serve something or someone. Whether it's a master and we serve sin, as Jesus said, a slave to sin, a slave to the God of this world, or if we choose to serve God as our master and serve him. Romans 6 verse 16 says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. We all serve a master. I know for myself in my late teens, I grew up in a Christian family, but in my late teens, I started to feel as if I was trapped and confined, and I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free to live my life the way I wanted. I wanted to be liberated, and I chose. I chose to walk away from my, ch my, my church, and I cho chose to walk away from God. I wanted to pursue for me it's different things for different people. I wanted to um, pursue a career and a job without any, anything holding me back. But the reality was that this freedom, it was a mirage. It, it was a lie. I thought I was going after freedom and I found myself in complete bondage. It wasn't long, it wasn't very much time down this road that I realized I was serving a harsh taskmaster. I was um, trying to be a success in my job. Everything for me was about working, was about proving myself, you could say. For one John, it was the pride of life. It was to be lifted up and to be better and to be a success. And the more I pursued that, the more I felt the pressure on me to be good enough to be accepted. And I felt the pressure from those around me that were waiting for me to fail. I also felt the pressure socially to be acceptable, to be um, cool enough, uh, fun enough. It was bondage. And I walked down this road because I was stubborn for six or seven years. Perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps this morning you still feel that you're in bondage that you are a slave, maybe like me, it's work, and it's about reputation and, and achieving and being good enough, the pride of life, or maybe it's the, the materialism, the lust of the eyes, the having, the wanting, the needing more, or maybe it's the, the lust of the flesh, the pleasures that life brings, the comforts that lead to need, that lead to addiction. Whatever it is, we were all and we, st we still serve 
Something or someone is our master. I thought I was finding freedom, and I found a hard taskmaster. I was in bondage to sin. Having looked a little bit at Israel and how they dealt with, with slaves, the New Testament we see is set amidst the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, slavery was harsh. It was a harsh thing to be a slave. They had more than six million slaves. And um, to be a slave was probably to be a slave for life. It was not something easily escaped from. Over six million slaves. Buying and selling of them was big business. And if you loved someone that was a slave and you wanted to get them out of slavery, if you wanted to buy them out, what you would need to do is you'd need to pay the redemption price, also called the ransom. And so the word redemption is a technical term for money to buy back a slave from a master or a prisoner of war. It was money that you would pay, that person would then become your slave, and then you would let them free. Now, the reality was that very few people that became slaves were ever freed because the ransom price was so high. As Christians, this understanding of redemption and of being bought out of slavery is really important to us. As I've already said, we are or were at one time all in bondage to sin. A slave to the God of this world, needing someone to pay the ransom, someone to redeem us. And the truth was that we could not and cannot do it for ourselves. We have not the ability to pay the cost, the wages, the price, the cost of our sin, of living life our own way, is death. And we could not pay the price. But the amazing truth is that Jesus could and Jesus did. Jesus is our redeemer. He took us from being a slave to sin and brought us into new life. Let's read Colossians 1.14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus redeemed us. He ransomed us. He paid the ransom for yours and my life, bringing us forgiveness of sin. And the price that he paid was the highest price. The price he paid was his own blood spilt for us. Let's read Revelations 5, 9 to 10 that speaks of Jesus saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. If you're sitting here this morning, it doesn't matter where you've come from, where you're going, it doesn't matter your, your nationality, it doesn't matter what you have been in bondage to. It doesn't matter if it was big or small or in between, Jesus' blood can ransom you, has ransomed you this morning. Before redemption, we were a slave to Satan, to the old nature, and now we have come from death into life. We have a new life, and we have a new master that we serve. Christ 
gave up everything to redeem us, and it cost him his very life. And to do so, he had to serve us. I read earlier from Mark, and I want to read Mark 10.45. This was when Jesus was saying about that you're not going to be lording over people like those in the world were. In verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Sacrificially, he gave up everything for us, and Jesus models servanthood. Can you imagine being one of the disciples at that last supper and seeing Jesus, your master, get on his knees and wash your feet? Can you imagine that? Well, spiritually, he washes our feet. When he redeemed us from the bondage we were in and brought us into his kingdom, he washed our feet. He was a servant to us. Let's read John 13, where he talks of this. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus came as a servant. He laid his majesty aside. He humbled himself and he served us and he calls us to be servants. He calls us to serve each other. And um, I want to look briefly at what that means. I want to look at Matthew 25. It's one of Jesus's parables or just a little bit of it where we get some insight. And he says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What we do for Jesus, or let me put it the other way, what we do for others, it's as though we do for Jesus. And so what does it practically mean to be a servant. Well, I mean, I could be here all week to, to talk about that. And just from that verse that I've mentioned, should remind us of one of Joel's sermons just a while back when he looked at the church being God's agent, ag agents of compassion and mercy. And that verse just really speaks to it about as servants, we are going to be the ones that go out showing compassion on mercy to each other. And so I'm not going to go there again, but just remember that obviously is part of it. I've got three points I want to look at briefly this morning. The first one is that serving starts with Mary, but leads to Martha. Secondly, serving should not be a burden, but it will be a sacrifice. And lastly, serving will bring honor, glory, and praise to God. So first of all, serving will start with Mary. You may well be familiar with that account of when Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet and she's just so wanting to be so close to her master and hear what he has to say. And then you've got her sister, Martha, that you picture just bustling about, making the food, making sure everyone's got everything they need. Basically, Martha is serving. 
And Martha goes to Jesus and says, please send my sister to help me. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better way. Now, over the years, personally, I've really struggled with this story because I can relate to Martha. I'd like to sit at Jesus's feet and, and hear everything he has to say, but I'm always so keenly aware of what needs to be done and um, the serving that needs to be done. And I've struggled with this, but I guess my conclusion has been is not that Jesus doesn't want us to serve, but that service has to come from a deep-rooted relationship with Jesus. Because if we don't have that depth, if we're not close to our Lord, our Master, that any service that we give is going to be in our own strength. And it probably will be for the wrong motives. It probably won't be to bring him glory. It will probably be to look good or for people to say, oh, look at her. She's always doing this. And so it starts with Mary. We need to kneel at Jesus's feet. We need to know him. We need to spend time with him. And then his spirit in us will give us such a heart to serve as Jesus had served us. And the fruit of the spirit is seen in service. And it's complete opposite of the fruit of selfishness or of pride. It's in stark contrast to that. And so Jesus called us to serve each other as he had served us. And ultimately, we serve because we are serving Jesus. It's before him we stand and fall. It's not before other people. We serve him, but in so doing, we serve others. But Paul, I want to read from what he said to the Galatian church, chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. We don't serve to please men. Obviously, though, we want to lift each other up. We do it because it's a heart to serve Christ and to be servanthood like, to have servanthood like he has. My second point is serving will not be a burden, but it will be a sacrifice. Um, once we had a hard taskmaster. Maybe you're still there. We served a tough master. I found life for those seven years that I had walked away from God heavy. It was a burden. Trying to be good enough, trying to, to succeed, it was not easy. But now we come into the kingdom of light. Our burden, our taskmaster is light. It is different. Now, I want to use the word yoke this morning. The word yoke, I don't know if you're aware of what it is, but um, if you picture two animals yoked together with a wooden bean across their shoulders to plow, the idea of being yoked is that of servanthood or of servitude. In fact, Israel, when they were in captivity, would shout out to God, take away the yoke of our captivity, lift this burden from us. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that when, when reading what Jesus said about his yoke. I don't know if you've ever thought about it as, as being an instrument of submission, of humbling. But Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Ancient farmers would take a new ox that needed to learn the ropes and would yoke it to uh, a stronger, maturer ox. And that ox would learn to take the yoke, to submit itself and to be guided. And the older ox would take the burden. Most of the strength would come from them. And so being a servant, similar to submission or humility, those words that aren't very popular, is about submitting self and yoking ourselves through the Spirit to God and allowing him to lead, him to guide, but he carries the weight. And it's a safe place to be, to be, be submitted, to be yoked to Jesus. But the word submit, it still may not sit well with you. I know for myself, after, after um, walking away from God for, for so many years, it was in the late 80s, show how old I am. And it was at the beginning of the girl power in England. And, and so um, strength and success was so, so ingrained in me that the idea when I came back to God to submit and to, to be a servant, it, it was a long process. Maybe you're in this process too, to become a servant, to mit, submit self. One of the things that really helped me was that the word submission, the Greek word for it, comes from the word to, um, what's the word, to, to train a horse, to bring a horse under control. And I learned that submission, servanthood, um, humility is not a weakness. The world says it's a weakness, it's been about being a doormat, it's not a weakness. It's strength under control. Strength controlled by the Holy Spirit. We don't become less of ourselves when we serve. We, in fact, become what God would have for us more because God wants more for ourselves. As we submit and serve, we become more than we were. It is a strength, not a weakness. Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus. Jesus was never weak, but he was humble in heart. He said, take my yoke and learn from me. But although it should not be a burden, it will be a sacrifice. It really is. To, the flesh wants to be lifted up to humble and serve is a sacrifice. Jesus said, lift up your cross daily and follow me. Serving others is going to be costly. It goes against what the flesh wants. It's going to be sacrificial of energy. It's going to be sacrificial of time. It means saying yes to things when our body or our flesh wants to say no. It means putting other people first before ourselves. Be more interested in lifting others up than lifting up ourselves. And practically, one of the big areas that we need to serve is within the church. Within the church body, we need to be serving, I'm talking on a Friday, but also in ministry in many other areas as well. 
I know that when I come on a Friday morning, often early, um, and I come in here and I see Anish and his team and the worship team getting everything ready, serving us all so well, and I realize they've already been here several hours. To me, that really is an example of servanthood. And we need to all step up and take some of that burden. Otherwise, some people will be serving and um, more than they, they should and others won't. So take that challenge, please. We all need to serve. But remember that we serve because we love our master. And we love his church. His people are our people. His work is our work. It will be sacrificial. It often won't be rewarded. But Jesus sees, and the reward ultimately will be one day when God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come in and be part of my master's happiness. My last point is that service must and should always bring glory to God. Our purpose as individuals, our purpose as a church is to lift up God's name is to glorify him. And is there any way that it, um, it's such an amazing way we do that is when we serve, God's love is manifest. We will bring praise to his name. And often it's our servanthood, our laying down of self for other people that is such a witness and brings other people into a relationship with the Lord. Let me read what Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, verse, chapter 9, verse 19. I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. I've become all things to all people, so by all possible means I might save some. Paul recognized that in service, others come to know Jesus. And it's such a witness and an example to us. And it's not just us as individuals, us as a church. Imagine what we as a church, as a body can do when we serve the community and those around us. Should it not be known that when something good has happened, when the, the um, helpless are helped, social justice is brought help taken in the community, in our workplaces and in our schools, that it's Christians that are motivated to do that. We do this together. Um, Nico, a couple of weeks ago, spoke about our unity. We together can make a difference in this world. When I think of it for City Hill, one of the, the areas that we do serve comes to mind, and that's how so many of you are involved in our work in the Philippine consulate. I mean, that really is service, particularly for those in the core team that every month are preparing the, the teaching, um, the, the lessons they're going to teach, the skills, are raising funds, getting food and gifts for them. We go there and we serve, and Jesus' name is lifted up. We need to look for more opportunities as a church to be able to serve in the nations, in the countries around us. And I mustn't forget the nations because we in Dubai can serve in the nations as we support our brother and sister churches around the world that really can be encouraged when we help and we pour out ourselves in service to them. 
as we live as bond servants, as we lift up others and serve them rather than lifting ourselves up, we walk a road less walked. We walk the path that Jesus walked first. We are servants because he gave up everything. He redeemed us from bondage. He paid the ransom that we might have life. I want to end now with one of my favorite passages from the, the Bible. And um, I struggle not to have read it as an example before now because it really does sum up everything about servanthood and Jesus' example. Let's end, and as I read this, just allow it to apply to your lives. Philippians 2, 3 to 11. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.